Hello, and welcome to On the Nose, the Jewish Currents podcast. I'm Alex Kane, a senior reporter at Jewish Currents, and I'm your host today. Since early January, hundreds of thousands of Israelis have participated in weekly anti-government protests. The demonstrations across Israel have been sparked by the right-wing Israeli government's proposals to weaken the power of Israel's Supreme Court by allowing a Knesset majority to override court decisions and by removing the ability of the court to strike down Israel's quasi-constitutional measures that are known as basic laws. The proposal also calls for giving politicians, rather than legal professionals, the ability to appoint judges, which would give the ruling coalition the power to shape the judiciary. The demonstrations against the proposal have been powered by the Israeli center-left, but few Palestinian citizens of Israel are participating. While the protest's message has been about saving quote-unquote Israeli democracy, many Palestinian citizens think Israel was never a democracy to begin with because of its brutal system of control over Palestinians not only in Israel but in the West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem. To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined by two guests, Sally Abed and Orly Noy. Sally is a Palestinian citizen of Israel living in Haifa and a member of national leadership at Standing Together, Nakif Ma'an in Arabic or Omdin Biyachad in Hebrew. It's a grassroots Arab-Jewish movement in Israel. Orly is an Iranian-Israeli political activist, a translator of Farsi poetry and prose, and an editor at Local Call. She is the chair of the executive board of the Israeli human rights group Selim and an activist with the Balad political party. Sally, I wanted to start with you wanted to get just a basic description of what the protests have been like from your perspective. I'm going to be very, very honest with you. These protests have been very hostile for me. They've been quite traumatic (laughs) in many ways. It's a protest, right? And it has a story. It has a political story. And who's the protagonist of that story? It doesn't include me as a Palestinian. You go there and you get lost in a sea of Israeli flags. (laughs) You get lost in a sea of chants that talk about democracy and that talk about like the sense of ownership over the democracy and over the country and over, you know, the Supreme Court comes from a certain understanding or assumption of I served in the military. (laughs) I'm a veteran. I was in this war. I was in that war. I am a millionaire who brings millions (laughs) to this country in, in taxes. And it's just something that is so isolating not just to me as a Palestinian, but to me as a socialist, you know. With that being said, when I do go, I still understand that we have the responsibility. It's not even responsibility. It's, it's the necessity, unfortunately, of going out and, and, and trying to impact the conversation as, as Palestinians. And it's, it's really very hard. It really has been very hard for us to do that, especially in the main protests in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. It has been extremely hard. A follow-up question to you, Sally, because you occupied a, a somewhat unique place as one of the organizers of the first demonstrations, and as, of course as a Palestinian citizen of Israel. But from what you've told me in our past conversation, there, there aren't a lot of Palestinian citizens of Israel that are participating in these demonstrations. So I just wanted to get a sense from you of like, what is the Palestinian response to these demonstrations? 
So we have to take into account various factors. The first one that we really need to understand generally is that we are a marginalized, oppressed <laughs> ethnic group that is chronically despaired. You know, generally everywhere in the world, marginalized groups are harder to mobilize. So we need to understand that. That's one. Two is I think a lot of people didn't quite understand what these reforms mean, what the Supreme Court, which we have a very different relationship with, you know, Israeli democracy and the Israeli Supreme Court, Palestinians have a very different relationship with them. It's the court that passed us as class B citizens. It's the court that demolishes houses on weekly basis everywhere in Israel and in the occupied territories. We have a different relationship. That obviously doesn't mean that we are not majorly targeted group that will uh, be affected uh, by these reforms. And not just these reforms, by the way, we're talking about a wider political, social policies that this government will advance that will really target us as well. With that being said, I do think there is a little bit more movement right now. Uh, there was a conference on Saturday, just two days ago in Tibi. There was a protest in Emil Fahim, which is one of the largest Palestinian cities in Israel. Obviously, we saw the strike, the general strike that happened in East Jerusalem. So uh, it really is becoming more obvious than ever that we need to create secure places that are more accessible to Palestinians to resist, to educate themselves and understand the tools they have and empower them to understand how they can resist. Because as I said before, we are really dealing not just with their disappointment of the instrumental and conditional partnership that they have experienced from the Jewish left, which has been terrible, <laughs> terrible, but also how we deal with the chronic despair and how we can empower young Palestinians to actually believe again that they can change. Orly, I wanted to ask about the role of Mizrahim in the protests and your thoughts on the recent statement from Mizrahi activists that rejects the right wing's judicial proposals and also calls for a new democratic vision in Israel, as opposed to what the statement calls the old order. Well, I'll start with the statement because I was one of the initiators of uh, that statement. We are a group of Mizrahi activists who we absolutely share the sense of urgency that the mass is going out to protest are feeling right now. But unlike those masses, our goal is not to bring back the quote-unquote old order of things. What Sally uh, said about the inequality before the court and the role that the Israeli Supreme Court played in legitimizing basically any war crime against Palestinians, again, both inside and outside Israel, is very much uh, related to the Mizrahi experience as well whether it's housing, whether it's distribution of resources, of public resources, distribution of land. The Mizrahim in Israel as a community never enjoyed their full share in any of those fields in the old order of things. So this initiative presents a different vision that opposes both to the constitutional revolution that uh, we are undergoing right now, but also to the old order of things in which Israel can continue to benefit the few 
at the expense of uh, the many, and we will be publishing soon a list of documents with very specific suggestions for reforms in every one of those aspects. Now, regarding the demonstrations in the Mizrahim, the Mizrahim, you know, you can find them on both sides of the fence. In the general discourse in Israel, there is a tendency to identify the Mizrahi voice with that of the right wing of Netanyahu. It's not the case. The Mizrahim do not support Netanyahu more than Ashkenazi. I mean, the voters of uh, the right wing are not necessarily or even mostly Mizrahim. But the thing is that there is a place where some Mizrahi communities share the resentment that this new government demonstrates against the old elites which are strictly Ashkenazim, which dictated the food chain, as I call it, of the Israeli society, in which Mizrahim find themselves at the very bottom, just above the Palestinian citizens. So out of this uh, animosity and hostility towards the old elites, you can find Mizrahim on the Netanyahu side, but you can find, uh, as Sally mentioned, also a lot of Mizrahim that go out and demonstrate against that constitutional revolution because, you know, if you belong to a minority community, an underprivileged one, you understand very well that narrowing down the democratic sphere is going to affect you more than anybody else. Exposed communities are going to get more hurt by narrowing down, by shrinking the democratic sphere, and so, of course, they go out and demonstrate. Do they? those demonstrations represent the full Mizrahi experience or even interest? I don't think so. I wanted to get into both of your personal participation in the protests or, or lack of participation. Orly, I understand that you have not gone to the demonstrations, and I wanted you to explain why that is. Well, without a doubt, you know, we are at a very crucial point in Israel's history. The most fundamental definers of the state of the regime are being put under question and and being redefined. So at that point, and taking into account that explicit fascists, Kahanists, are already in the government. That one, This is a government that one of its most permanent ministers has been convicted with supporting terrorism. You would assume that in a dramatic moment like that, the Israeli public, or at least the protesters, would do a, a thorough soul-searching and really examining the reasons that got us to the point where we are now. Instead, when you look at those demonstrations, you can almost get a feeling that as far as they are concerned, some UFO just striked from heaven and threw off the Jewish and democratic state off its uh, tracks. And what they really want is not to open up those questions in sincerity and in honesty and to really be engaged in a discussion about them, but rather just let's bring back the old order of things, let us continue the fruits of the Jewish supremacy system, let us be able to continue to ignore the oppression 
of the Palestinians everywhere and still be considered as a democratic state, you can see that in the identity of the figures promoting or leading those protests, ex-generals such as Bogi Yalon, Yair Golan, Ehud Barak, Roni El-Sheikh, it's a very militant protest at its essence. And the, the, the sea of Israeli flags that Sally mentioned, there is something very aggressive. We have, you know, initiatives such as Brothers in Arms for the Sake of Democracy. Yeah, it's almost ludicrous. Just an anecdote, you know, we led the, the protest. I was on that stage and every time I went down the stage, I had people coming to me screaming, like, what are you saying? You're Palestinian. Like, why are you ruining this for us? In Haifa, actually, they canceled the Palestinian speaker that was supposed to give a speech because they asked her to give them in advance her speech like it was a Shin Bet interrogation to go over it, and they, they actually ruled it out. They wouldn't ask in advance the speech of any Jewish speaker. So, I mean, it's good that people go out and demonstrate. It's good that people feel that shrinking rights and democratic sphere is a bad thing and you should resist. But there are many ways to resist not only this government, but the entire regime without taking part in such militant, ultra-nationalist protests such as uh, the ones we are seeing today. And Sally, obviously you, you were a prominent part of the first demonstration that kicked off this wave of protests in Israel and have gone to many of the demonstrations and Now I understand your participation is changing. I was wondering if you could talk about why you did participate in the first place and how your relationship to the protests has changed as the weeks have gone by. I think, you know, in retrospect, it was quite uh, traumatic, but I do think that it was very impactful. You know, on the stage, we had uh, a trans woman, we had a Haredi woman, we had... uh, you know, four Palestinians out of nine speakers. We had a reformed lesbian rabbi. We had breaking the silence on stage. And we really had the occupation as well as issues of social justice and, you know, the wider new majority in Israeli society. You know, what is democracy, right? We tried to define what is democracy for all. And I do think it did create the conversation, the necessary conversation in the media in many ways, and even the backlash. I think it was necessary. This government is not only bad because it's reforming the Supreme Court and attacking uh, Palestinians, and it's it's bad because it's, it's a libertarian, extreme right government that's going to shatter, you know, the working class. It's going to shatter the poor people. It's going to shatter economic and social peripheries in Israel. And people need to understand that. And 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 that's why I'm going to these protests. And I am going more to the periphery ones. So I was every week I, I was in Rahat, I was in Nazareth, I was in Haifa, and less in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is too hostile for me. <laughs> it really is too much. Even Haifa the other day, I was like getting coffee on Atzma'ut Street, which is downtown Haifa. That's where I live. 
And there was this huge lane of cars with Israeli flags and huge signs that said, I served in the 67 war. I served in the 7-6 war. It was surreal for me. I just looked at it. It was tens of cars. It took them like 15 minutes. And all of them are just these older veterans. And this is the most difficult decision for me to actually insist on impacting this kind of messaging. It's actually quite exhausting. I have been an activist within Jewish-Arab joint struggle for seven years now, and I have never been this drained. You've obviously been joining what's known as the the anti-occupation bloc at these demonstrations. I was wondering if if you could talk about how the anti-occupation left has been showing up at these demonstrations. I am actually a little bit critical of the anti-occupation bloc and just in general, the anti-occupation ecosystem here in Israel. I think that it does present itself as this something that is an outsider of Israeli society. It's pure Jewish solidarity towards Palestinians, which is amazing. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's very important. But I do think it also overlooks the Israeli interest in, in ending the occupation and in peace in many ways. And it doesn't see itself as part of the Israeli society. If, if you look at the signs, for example, a lot of them are in English. I'm like, who are they talking to? <laughs> like so much of the conversation of the anti-occupation apartheid conversation is just imported from Palestinian solidarity movements abroad and are not actually talking to the Israeli public you know, I'm always, always trying to understand how to impact that. And I think the answer is creating more progressive, aware, empowered Palestinian leadership in Israel that can actually talk about occupation and apartheid and how it relates to social justice as being part of Israeli society. And that connects it, obviously, to Israel's peripheries. And I think more important than protests is organizing. That's what we're doing right now. A lot of my time is spent on talking to young people, especially Palestinians, to really understand how we can absorb this energy into more sustainable organizational infrastructure to really build power, grassroots power that can compete. Because as Orly said, you can't really compete Jewish supremacy with a lighter shade of Jewish supremacy. Uh, we really need to start understand how to build a new political current that understands how we can talk to the Israeli public about social justice, about inequalities, but also about the occupation from the deep understanding that it's actually our interest. And Orlia, what's your sense of the anti-occupation protesters at these demonstrations? I really admire uh, each and every single one of them. I mean, you know, we are such a small uh, community at the end of the day that we pretty much know by name each other. So many of them are my uh, personal friends and I know how incredibly difficult that is. And I really admire the determination to go into the lion's den and to really try to have this conversation with the Israeli public. And following up on what Sally mentioned about the necessity to reach out more to the Israeli public and to get engaged in that conversation, I absolutely agree with that. I just want to point out that 
it's incredibly difficult and it is being done. It's just those efforts show little result because of the reasons that we are all aware of, because of the depths of nationalism and racism and, and now, sadly, also clear fascism that the Israeli society is sinking deeper and deeper into. I'm the chair of the board of directors of B'Tselem, which is the most prominent, I guess, human rights organization in Israel. People always accuse B'Tselem of not engaging enough with the Israeli public. I can tell you that more than half of the organization's resources are invested in engagement with the Israeli public. It's just incredibly difficult to break through. I'm also an activist with uh, Tajamo Balad, the Palestinian National Democratic Party in Israel, which just mentioning Balad's name is enough for the average Israeli to write you off as, as a terrorist supporter or something. Balad has been constantly approaching the Israeli, the Jewish Israeli public, offering them a truly democratic alternative to the apartheid regime, which is the state for all its citizens. Now, this is the really the most fundamental basis of any functioning democracy anywhere, yeah? That the state belongs to all of its citizens. But it's incredibly difficult to break through this barrier that is shielding the Israeli public from getting engaged in that conversation. And I agree that the Israeli public itself is paying a price for that, if it's the worker class, if it's women, basically any underprivileged community. But we cannot forget that at the same time, the Jewish citizens in Israel enjoy tremendous privileges just by being Jews in a Jewish supremacist regime. And it's not that easy convincing people to give up that much amount of privileges that you get just by being born a Jew in Israel or immigrating to Israel as as a Jewish person. So it is important without a doubt, but it's not easy. And there are, you know, in all our fields of activism, every article that we publish, it's about, I mean, certainly in local call in Hebrew, it's about approaching the Israeli public and inviting them or challenging them to this conversation And uh, sometimes it works. It always makes me very happy to receive especially letters from the younger generation following the website or articles I write mainly about not serving in the army. They rethink that and some of them refuse. So we influence where we can influence. I'm just saying that it's really incredibly difficult. There's a sort of conceptual debate on the left in Israel and you know, amongst people in, in the U.S. and elsewhere that are following this, which is basically on one side, this is an emergency and things are getting worse and we need to speak out versus it's always been this way. We have to recognize it has always been this way since 1948, since the Nakba. How should we understand this debate? And is there a way to, to move forward between both sides of the argument? Isn't it true that things are getting worse and there's a historical process 
these processes are, are sort of rooted in. I do think that the MKs and the kind of politicians that we're seeing in the Knesset right now are categorically different. They are openly fascist, and they're openly Jewish supremacist, and they're openly libertarian, which is also an, a very new thing to Israel, you know, which was built on socialism for the white, but it was built on, on some kind of, you know, basis of socialism. So it is categorically different. People need to understand that. Do I think that it will be substantially or categorically different as a government will see? I don't think so. I am a little bit more skeptical about that. I'm not undermining the dangers. I just think the real danger here is the paradigm shift that we're seeing. You know, the question is no longer about, yes, partnership, no partnership, yes, separation, no separation, yes, peace, no peace. The Jewish supremacy nature of things is just no longer questioned. And I don't think it's like a huge jump from what we had before, unfortunately. If you look even at the previous uh, government uh, with the Bennett and Lapid, it wasn't that much different. It wasn't categorically essentially different. You know, if you look at the de facto practice of the government, it was a record high in, what, 20, 30 years of, of deaths, of house destructions, of settlement expansions, and of economic policies and, you know, social policies here in Israel. You know, it was really bad for Israeli people, and especially it was catastrophic for Palestinians. So when it comes to that question, I don't think it's categorically different. I think it is, unfortunately, a natural course of escalation, given that the right has been not only methodologically and systematically working within the Israeli society and very well funded, but they have also been essentially working in an empty field without a goalie because there has never been a left that is wide enough, that is courageous enough with a political story that can compete with that. I do think that it's fundamentally different, the place we are going to now. I think there is a fundamental difference between nationalist, violent practices and explicit fascism which is based on race theory. But at the same time, I think that the discussion about the nature of the regime that has been in Israel since its foundation in 48 is extremely relevant because if people will not understand that this was an inevitable result of a regime that is based on supremacy, then the aspiration to just reverse the clock back to the time that the Jewish communities all in all were safe and could enjoy something that they called democracy. If we do not deal with the fundamental factors that made it inevitable for the fascists to rise, they will rise once again. So yes, this is a very dangerous moment in time. We should resist it in any way we can and really fight fascism. You should fight with everything you've got anywhere in the world at any given point. But at the same time, if it's really democracy that we want and not just arranging the conditions for a more convenient supremacy, then we should 
not just think about the future, but also revisit our past very, very carefully. Orly, if not these protests, what do you think is the best way to fight for that vision that you were talking about? I think that it's exactly like Sally said, joining Palestinian-led political platforms, social struggles. I mean, I think that it's a very important experience for us, the Jewish activists, to sit in the back seat to participate in struggles led by Palestinians. Have those conversations with your immediate circles. Write about it. Go to demonstrations. You know, just educate. I think there are so many ways to resist. You know, speak about refusal to go to the army. Speak with the young people about it. Bring that conversation to to the Shabbat table. Just get engaged in those conversations. You don't need to be in Kaplan Street in Tel Aviv to resist. So everything that Orly's saying is obviously true. The question is, who's going to do these things? And for that question, you need to really understand who are you going to talk to and how are they going to be convinced? How am I going to go to an Ethiopian in Israel whose only way for social mobility in Israel is military? And now Jewish veterans are going to come to him and tell him, no, don't go and serve. Don't go and utilize the only thing, the only option you have for social mobility. How is a Palestinian who's going to go and tell him, please liberate me, even though he probably statistically lives as badly as me economically and social racism and incarceration rate and all of these things. So the question is, how are you going to build the political will, the political capital within Israeli society to resist the occupation and to demand an equal and just society? And the answer is not a political party. It's a political current. And you can't build a political capital around a political current without a political movement. (laughs) And that's where I get to standing together. (laughs) We need to build a new kind of political current that understands that we need to build a new majority. The protagonist of the new political story in Israeli society needs to be much wider And it needs to understand that the resistance to the occupation and the demand for Palestinian liberation necessarily interwines with social justice and with equality. What's your message to Palestinians in Israel about how they should relate to this moment? Uh, I think for many years, um, the left and the shared society have been so preoccupied with understanding how to legitimize Jewish-Arab political partnership to the Jewish public. It's like you have this button that summons all the Arabs because we're like all ready to save the left, right? To go out and vote in droves to save the left, to go out and protest to save the left or to save Israel from fascism. And that doesn't work. We need to work on one. We can't ignore the fact that there is a momentum. There is this kind of awakening of Palestinian narrative of the fact that our young generation refuses the instrumental partnership, refuses the conditional partnership. We no longer want to be the Israeli Arabs 
who work towards a quote-unquote practical solution towards our civil equality. That's extremely important. As I always say, in order for you to resist and demand liberation, you also need to actually have food on the table and have electricity and have a rooftop. <laughs> uh, so obviously these things are extremely important, but we need to understand how to legitimize Jewish-Arab partnership to Palestinian youth. And it's not easy. I think many uh, Palestinian youth uh, at this point are like, why should we? Why should we subscribe to your conditions? You haven't really fought for our cause. And I think we need to do that uh, through understanding the theory of change, of building the political capital for change. And that goes through a lot of one-on-ones and it goes through a lot of small meetings and a lot of organizing and a lot of grassroots work. I do think that we need to capitalize on the awakening of, of the Palestinian narrative and understand how we take it to a place of joint struggle and not a Palestinian solidarity that boycotts Jewish joint uh, struggle and Jewish uh, partnership. While understandable, given the history, as I said before, we really need to model a different kind of uh, partnership that legitimizes uh, this and, and brings Palestinians to a safer space. And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you to our guests, Orly Noy and Sally Abed. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate it so more people get to know about it. And as always, subscribe to Jewish Currents and check out our website, jewishcurrents.org. We'll see you next time.